Amen. Well, turn with me in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's page 1329 in the Pew Bible in front of you, page 1329. I know uh, I hear a few coughs around the room. It's been, uh, seems like everybody's got a little bit of something going on. And uh, unfortunately, I did not avoid that. And so I, uh, I'm not sure how today is going to go. I'm, I'm on steroids, so I might preach till 12 or I might pass out halfway through. So we'll find out what happens. Uh, but when Pastor Tony's out of town and Pastor Brian's out of town, you just tough it up, right? Last night I wasn't feeling good at all. I've been dealing with it for about a week now. And so we uh, said, well, we have 45 minutes to get to the doctor before they close so we better go uh, see if they can juice you up for tomorrow. Uh, so here we are. And uh, so I'm, I've been praying and, of course, preparing for today. And so I know God has something for us. And so we'll just see what God has. I told the uh, doctor yesterday, I said, well, if you're going to put me on steroids, you should have told me beforehand I'd start working out more, you know, make this work, you know, to the maximum. Well, you know, Christmas is my favorite time of the year. Um, I absolutely love Christmas. And so we celebrate Christmas for years and years and years. We were, uh, and we still are, so don't, don't boo me yet, but we, we are on the real tree bus, right? You know, it's not Christmas unless you have a real tree. And so we always go the day after Thanksgiving and we get a real tree. Well, the problem with that is those things get crispy quick, and you can't keep them very long. And so uh, we've always done it that way, but uh, last year... You know, we also really like a good deal. And so we were shopping after Christmas, and we came across a beautiful flocked fake tree. And so we thought this would make a wonderful addition to our home. And so we bought it, and here's the good thing about a fake tree. Now, I just got on the fake tree bus, okay? Here's the good thing. You can put your tree up for as long as you want, and you don't have to water it. So it's been the most amazing thing over the last couple of weeks that we've had this beautiful tree that looks like it was just snowed upon in our living room. And so don't worry for all you real tree people. We do still plan on getting a smaller real tree because you can't mimic the smell of a real Fraser fir. So we're going to get a real tree. Uh, but, you know, we, we've been celebrating the, uh, Halloween was on a Monday, Tuesday morning. All the decorations went up. We had trees up. Uh, we've got music playing. I've been listening to music uh, since November the 1st. We absolutely love Christmas and everything there is about it. And, you know, as a kid, if you'll remember that feeling, right, the anticipation of Christmas coming. And so as we get into the Christmas season here in a few weeks, of course, we'll have some Christmas messages. And, you know, we'll have Jingle Jam like we've had over the last several years. We're looking forward to all that comes with being a part of that and just, just everything that goes with Christmas. And kids, they still anticipate all of that. You know, they anticipate the list and, and Santa and all the things that, that come with Christmas and, and this high anticipation. As a matter of fact, we would probably all agree it's one of the most, if not the most anticipated time of the year. And so there's even this debate on how can you, you know, celebrate too earlier. And so as, as kids anticipate this, this big crescendo day on December the 25th as we all awaken on that wonderful day. Well, see, as we get into 2 Corinthians 5, I want you to see that Paul is in really the same mindset 
that we would have about Christmas, that there's this great day that's coming, and we're anticipating this wonderful and incredible arrival of of what we know is coming. We're just not exactly sure all of the details of that, right? We don't know what the presents are. We don't don't know if the turkey is going to come out good. You know, we, we don't have all of the information on the details, but here's what we know. Sunday is coming, right? Christmas will be here. That day will be here, and we'll celebrate everything that Christmas means. And so Paul, as he moves into chapter 5, and chapter 4, as Pastor Brian and uh, Pastor Ryan talked about over the last couple of weeks, that Paul is trying to get our mindset off of what we see. He he makes comments like the things that we see are temporary, uh, but the things that we don't see are eternal. And he, he talked about, Pastor Brian mentioned this, about how the outer self is wasting away, and yet the inner self is being renewed. And so we get to chapter 5, and then Paul brings this imagery up of a tent. You see, with Paul, he's endured many things in his life, things that he's not proud of, things that he wished were different, things for Paul as you read the life of Paul and Acts and subsequent letters, things that were very painful, things that were physically and relationally difficult for him. You see him defending a lot in the book of both 1st and 2nd Corinthians. But one of the things that you'll notice about Paul is that he kept his focus forward, that he was focused on what God had in store for him, that he was never looking back. You see, in Philippians, Paul wrote this to the church at Philippi, chapter 3, verse 13. He said, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. So in other words, Paul is saying, look, this is not about me. He said, the one thing that I do, I forget what lies behind, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul was focused on tomorrow. In chapter 4, he had just finished speaking of the temporary versus the eternal. And then we get to chapter 5, and this is what he says as we pick up in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so this great anticipation Paul has, has alluded to a couple of different times, and Pastor Ryan spoke a little bit of, about this last week, that Paul is leading towards the resurrection, that there will be a day, listen, there will be a day where all of what we see today will be gone. The lights will be turned out, everything will be shut down, and the eternal will commence. You see, for us, all we see is right now and today. But Paul is saying, look, all of the unseen that I'm speaking of which, now I will reveal to you. I will declare the reality of what that is. And so the anticipation has now been revealed. And he begins with the words, for we know. He says, here's something that I absolutely know to be true. Several years ago, we lived in Virginia, and the kids were small. And so when uh, the weather would come on, of course, we're from the flatlands of South Mississippi, and so snow is not really a word in our vocabulary. Well, the weatherman would come on, and he would say, tomorrow, 
Lynchburg is expecting six, eight, ten inches of snow. And so in great anticipation, we would hype the kids up and, hey, tomorrow it's going to snow tomorrow and we're going to be able to go out and play in the snow. And then uh, as the snow uh, system would come through, it would hit the mountain ranges over in Roanoke and it would knock the, the snow clouds down. And so by the time that the system got to Lynchburg, no snow. And so for this whole time, you know, weather is normally very, very accurate. You know, weather is normally very, very accurate. And so this whole time we're thinking, well, they've never been wrong before. And so we began to lose confidence in what they would say. And then it would be, oh, high tomorrow is 32, no, no rain. And then we would get six inches of snow. And so we just began to receive it as whatever it was because it was so uncertain of what would actually happen. You see, the first thing that I believe Paul is bringing out for us this morning, and what I really want you to grasp, first of all, is that the certainty of tomorrow helps us to overcome the uncertainty of today. You see, for us as believers, here's here's where, this is what we believe. Let's talk about basic fundamentals of belief, okay? We believe as believers in Jesus Christ that because of the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, that death no longer has a hold on us. Now, does that mean that we won't die? No, it does not mean that. It doesn't mean that we won't die. It means that death doesn't have the final say. Because you see, humanity was created, of course, by God the Creator. And Jesus came in the form of a man in order that he would defeat the sting of death, which is the consequence of sin. You see, you and I were created, in the Garden of Eden, humans were created to live forever. The design of God is eternality. And the only thing about you that lasts forever is the only thing of God inside of you. You see, for you and for me, we want everything to be certain for me, and we want to be able to control that. But what Paul is saying here, look, let me describe to you what we absolutely know to be true. I was reading some other letters of Paul this morning in my quiet time, and he he talked about how he was in prison and that he hoped to come and visit and make sure you have a room ready for me. Paul was uncertain if he would ever actually fulfill what he desired to do. But here is what Paul knew, and he spoke in verse 1. He says, for we know that this tent, this earthly body, will one day fade away. And we will receive the building from God. You see, in chapter 4, he begins the the chapter by saying, don't lose heart. And he begins to describe these things. And then in chapter 5, he says, here's what we know to be true. You see, God knows our tendencies, that we're easily distracted, that we're discouraged by the uncertainty that so frequently surrounds us. And so what Paul's doing is he's painting this picture of the afterlife uh, for us, of the resurrected body that we will receive in heaven. And he's telling the Corinthian church, Paul is telling us here this morning, that this tent that we live in is only the temporary of what we can see. He was telling them to focus on instead what we do know. You see, the part that you and I get caught up in is the part that Paul Uh, references here is the part made by human hands, right? The things that we think that we have control over, the things that we think that we are a part of. But what Paul, uh, what God is teaching the Corinthians through Paul is that whatever you attempt to build with human hands will not last. You see, Paul is a tent maker by trade. 
And so for him to use this analogy of a tent is, is very familiar to him. Uh, he knows the frailty of tents. He knows the temporary nature of tents. It's how he makes his living fixing perpetually broken tents. And so he uses this imagery for people to begin to think about. You see, a tent he well knew was very vulnerable. A tent is very temporary. And so it's a fitting metaphor for the body. Tents by nature are very unstable. They're uncertain, if you will. You see, if you don't, if you don't stake down a tent and the winds blow, they're going to fly away. Tents are very easily penetrated. And in general, again, tents are very unstable. And so for us, what Paul is saying here is that when we attempt to put all of our focus on what is made by human hands, instead of what is built by the kingdom, here's what happens. And maybe this is you this morning. You become uh, very vulnerable, you become very unstable, and you become very uncertain. And so Paul makes a very clear distinction here from our earthly tent, the, un- the vulnerable, the, the unstable, to our heavenly building from God, emphasizing the permanency of eternity. Praise the Lord. Amen? You see, in Matthew chapter 6, this is what the Bible says. Matthew writes, do not lay up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see, our tendency is because it's all we know is to put all of our hope in this tent, right? To put all of our eggs in this basket. But we're reminded that there is something far greater to come that we can see. Paul writes here in verse 2, continue with me this morning. He says, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, Paul says, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So Paul starts with this, for we know, and then he ends here in verse 5, that God has given us the guarantee. And so in other words, if somewhere between verse 1 and verse 5, you started to doubt that God says, no, I'm stamping the guarantee of what you are hearing this morning. You see, not only is the certainty of tomorrow very uh, easy for us to understand and help us to overcome the uncertainty for today, Paul also says this as we read in the next verses here. He's saying that the Spirit of God that is within you is calling you to more. You see, when we're distracted by the uncertainty of today, our tendency is to relax. Our tendency is to shore up. Our tendency is to batten down the hatches, right? But here's what Paul is saying. Look, instead of going and sitting in a corner and waiting for the resurrection to happen, God is calling you to a deeper walk in the here and now. So in ministry, I would say to you the most frustrating, one of the most frustrating things for me is the shallowness of Christianity. It's that we often want the appearance of Jesus but we don't want the labor of Jesus. And it is one of the most frustrating things in my own personal life, but also in ministry, that we would settle, 
that we would not move in closer to what God is calling us to do, that we would not be available to do, to do those things. You see, the Spirit inside of you is calling you to more. It is not enough just to say the name of Jesus. The Bible says in James chapter 2 and 19 that even the demons in hell believe in Jesus and yet tremble. You see, for us, God is not calling you to check a box in in Christianity. God is not calling you to just attend church. God is calling you to a radical new way of living that you would live your life in such belief of the resurrection that it would absolutely transform your life today. But so often in our lives, we don't beckon to the Spirit's call. We don't respond to the certainty of tomorrow because we're so afraid of the uncertainty of today. You see, in the midst of this uncertainty, we live in a constant state of dissatisfaction. And that should tell you something. You see, if you're constantly dissatisfied, if there's always more of what you want and you want to get your way and you want to do things your way and you're not satisfied with how anything is done, that ought to tell you something about yourself. That God has called you to be dissatisfied. He has created you to be dissatisfied with the temporary. And yet we continue to try to feel and to satisfy ourselves with the temporary. You see, does the dissatisfaction in your life drive you to more of Jesus? Or does it drive you to more of self? Does it drive you to more of Jesus Or does it drive you to more of self? You see, our culture has caught on to the way we work, okay? Think about this. It used to be that if you wanted a good deal, that you would go to the store and they would have a sale and you would get 25% off or whatever that may be, right? That's the way things used to be. And they would have all these sales. Now that's not the case anymore. Think about it. The bigger the purchase, the more this works because culture knows how culture is. Think about this. That in our culture, the way that you get a discount is through a rebate. It's through a rebate, right? Isn't that how that works? If you fill this card out and you mail it in, then we'll send you $25 back or whatever it may be. But did you know that the statistics of those who actually follow through on rebates is staggering? That they don't do it. I guarantee you there's been a moment where you had an opportunity to get a rebate and you didn't take advantage of it. Why? Because you were too lazy to fill the card out right? You didn't want to go online. It was too hard to do it because we want absolute right now satisfaction and anything that causes me to have to do something extra, I'm not doing. And culture knows that about us. You see, most people operate in the scene, what you see today. And for for a lot of people, and I have harped on this so many times, we talk about it in my family often, we talk in our small group often, it is so true that we are never still or quiet for long enough to actually hear and to respond to the inner call of Jesus to more. Because we're so distracted with constantly wanting the temporary and the right now. But in the deepest parts of who we are, Paul is saying that there is this groaning, this longing for something more. Paul writes in Romans 8, he says, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You see what Paul is saying here is that there's this deep internal longing within us to reach for the things of God. It is the only way that we're truly satisfied. The psalmist writes in Psalm 17, 15, he says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Said in another way, we often settle for lesser pleasures that we don't beckon to the call of God for more. You see, while in this tent we long, according to Paul here, we're burdened for something more. C.S. Lewis said, There's been times when I think that I do not desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts have we ever desired anything else. It is the secret signature of each soul. It is the incommunicable, the unappeasable want, the thing that we desired before we met our wives or made our friends or chose our work and which we shall still desire on our deathbeds when the mind no longer knows wife or friend or work. You see, what C.S. Lewis is saying here is at the absolute core of who you are, and maybe you haven't even discovered or allowed to be discovered yet, is this internal groaning or longing to only know Jesus. Acts 17, 27 says, Paul, as he came into the city of Athens, he saw uh, all of the statues that the Athenians uh, had made to all of these uh, different gods that they thought were appeasable. And one was to the unknown God. And so as Paul was waiting for his friends to come into town, Paul began to preach to them. And he preached about the unknown God, Jesus. And this is what he said in verse 27. He says that they should seek God. Now these are people who do not know God. These are people that are not following God. These are people that even declare him to be the unknown God. Paul says these people would seek God and perhaps do what? That they would feel their way towards him and find him. And how would they do that? You see, this morning you say, well, what is it that I, what, you say there's this internal longing for more of God. How do I find that? How do I unlock that? How do I beckon to that? How do I answer that? And Paul says, he is not actually far from each one of us. That the reality is, he is not far from you. That you may say this morning, well, I want to know more of God, but it seems as though God is distant. But the reality is that God is not distant that he's right there calling you to himself. But all of the distractions of the uncertainty of today are preventing you from hearing that call. You see, Paul makes a very clear distinction here, and I think this is the crux of the message today. He says in verse 4, while we are still in this tent, we groan, we're burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. And then listen to what he says here. He says, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. In other words, here's what Paul is saying, that you're not really living if you're not answering the Spirit's call. That what you think is life is the mortality. And what Paul is saying is that you would allow the tent or the mortal or the temporary to be overcome, not by death, that, that's not, he starts out saying that there will be a day where the building of God will be our habitation from this tent, this temporary that we see. But he's saying that the only way you get to that point is that you allow your mortality 
what you see to be swallowed up by life. Doesn't that seem opposite? You see, the word here, swallowed, means to completely cease to exist. So how is it that Paul is saying that our mortal, what we see, that the only way that we can live is if our mortal is completely swallowed up or that it ceases to exist? He's saying here that it is only those who are swallowed up by life that actually hear and respond to that inner groaning. This is where Paul says life begins. So the question that we would ask ourselves is then, what has your life become consumed with? What has your life been consumed with? Is it the busyness of life in general? Is it the schedule that has consumed you? Is it self? Is it consumed with getting what you want? How about this? Is it church life? Have you become so busy at doing church that you've failed to live in the Spirit? See, a, verse, a few verses later we'll get to in chapter 5, verse 17, very familiar verse. Paul says this. He says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All, New King James Version says, becomes new. In other words, everything in your life is completely swallowed up by the things of God. But that's not what we often do. Many, many people want to add Jesus to whatever it is that they're doing. That we want to have Jesus plus me equals everything, right? We want Jesus to be a part of what we're doing. Often, very often, we invite God into our circumstances to fulfill our desires. When in essence, if we're listening to the Spirit, God is inviting us into His circumstance based on His desires for us, right? Here's how we get to that point. Paul talks about this in Colossians. This is what he said. The verses will come up on the screen. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put away them all, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You see, what Paul is saying is that the death of the old self, the mortal, has to be put to death before the life of the spirit can reign in our life. Anything that is not focused on the gospel, anything that brings the focus on you instead of the gospel, Paul is saying, needs to die within you. The Bible speaks of dying to self. The Bible speaks of dying to sin. The Bible speaks of dying to the law. And the Bible speaks of dying to the world. So the question that I began to think about and ponder was this question this morning. What, what are the things that you are still keeping alive in your life that God intends to put to death? What are the things that you're keeping alive in your life that God intends to put to death? 
You see, Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are a new creation and old things pass away and all things become new. But so oftentimes in our life, we drag the old self into today. We don't crucify the desires of the flesh. We don't put to death our selfish desires. We don't put to death, maybe, as I thought about this, I thought, well, what are some things that we would put to death? Well, how about relationships? How about things that you know are not honoring to God in your life? That's an example of not putting to death. How about attitudes? How about the way that you used to be is not the way that you're supposed to be? How about that? But yet we drag, well, that's just how God made me. You know, we talk about the Enneagram around here a lot. We say, oh, well, you know, our personality type's a one or it's a seven or whatever it may be. Listen, that is a a metric of how God made you. It's not a metric of how God will uh, transform you. Look, it's not a crutch for you to say, well, that's just how God made me because God made me with sharp edges, all right? And I could go around and I could cut everybody and say, well, that you'll just have to get over it. That's how God made me. But the Bible says that God is transforming me and that the old nature of Matt is continually being made new. And so I have to consciously, according to Paul, he says, put to death, that I have to consciously say, listen, it has to be, as Paul says, that as John said, that he would increase and that I would decrease, that I would constantly put to death the selfish desires that we all have within us. And that I would say it's not about me. The biggest problem that we get into is that we think life is about us. Newsflash, if you cease to exist tomorrow, the, the staggering reality is that life with everyone else will continue. It will continue. This is not about you. You get to be a part of what God is doing. You are alive only because God gave you the ability to breathe. God is calling you, listen to me, I'm pleading with you this morning, God is calling you to stop living in the temporary. He is calling you to do an inventory of the things in your life that are not God-honoring, the things in your life that are not unifying, the things in your life that are not bringing glory to God. He is calling you to declare that you are not your own, that you were bought with the price See, to go deeper with God, we have to be dissatisfied with sin and self. And we have to be more captivated with who Jesus is. You see, when we hear and we respond to this inner desire for more of God, we become more satisfied with the things of God. And we become less satisfied with the things of the world. You see, the Spirit is calling you this morning. He's calling you to put to death those things that are preventing you, according to Paul, from actually living. So not only do we see the temporary of today can be overcome by the permanency or the certainty of tomorrow, we see the Spirit is calling us. And the last that Paul writes here, as he talks about this end time, as he talks about this resurrected body, we also see that Paul is telling us that we should live for tomorrow, today. That we should live for tomorrow, today. So he's given this picture, this image of tomorrow. And he says, here's what we know for sure will happen tomorrow, and we long for the perfection of tomorrow. And yet, in today, 
we find ourselves in all of this uncertainty. You probably heard, uh, possibly, uh, this week there was a, a situation on our road where we live, and uh, there's a few people who go to our church that live on our street. And uh, so there was a situation where one of our neighbors uh, had a health event. And it uh, just so happened that Melanie and one of our other neighbors were there. And so they were able to go down and to be there. And I uh, got there a little bit later. And so, uh, unfortunately, uh, our neighbor passed on very young, 47 years of age. Uh, and it was, it, it, was a, it was a traumatic event for, you know, a lot of everyone involved. And, you know, so the neighbors came out. And so there was this conversation. We're talking about, you know, everything that happens and, you know, one of the neighbors talked about uh, just being confronted with the reality of the temporary. And here I am, you know, six days away from preaching this message about the temporary. And I'm standing in the front yard of a neighbor that we know and love and say, you know, just like that, life is but a vapor. And so as I'm thinking about all this and I'm thinking about, you know, God, what does this look like? The temporary that we so get captivated with, the here and now, that we so become enamored with, that God just continued to cement this truth in my heart. Well, you have to live for tomorrow. There's going to be a day. It's hard for the family to see right now. It's hard for us to see. But there will be a day where there will be reuniting, that those who have passed on before us, that we will be reunited with them in the resurrection. That's the hope and the promise of Jesus. And so what we have to do is that we have to say, God, I realize that I don't control tomorrow. God, I realize that you're calling me to live today because I don't know what tomorrow is. And so, Lord, how do I do that? What does that look like? You see, when Paul talked about death, he spoke often about life the things that we focus on. And as believers, God has made us so much more than what we often experience. You see, the reason in order for us to experience the way of life that God intended is we have to see through the right lens. You know, just a few weeks ago, Pastor Tony preached a message on the veil. We had the conversation about the veil being lifted and that God would allow us to see the things that He wants us to see. You see, Paul very simply preached that Jesus was the Savior of the world and that by the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus that we would all spend eternity in heaven with him. And Paul also preached that faith was the means by which all of the benefits of the works of Jesus Christ were received is simply through faith. So when we, by faith, we live for the certainty of tomorrow what happens is the uncertainty of today begins to fade. But here as we get close to the end this morning, I want you to think about this. The work of Jesus was not just what he accomplished on the cross through the resurrection. Listen, the work of Jesus was not just that he died and that he was buried and that he was resurrected. All of those things are absolutely true. And all of those things are what we celebrate as believers. And it is the hope that we have for eternity. But listen to me. The work of Jesus is also the transformation of your tent. 
Listen, it's not just for tomorrow. It's for today. Often our faith is relegated to eternity. We say, Jesus, I believe you and I trust you for eternity. Yes, I know. As David said, one day I will see my family member who's died again. But look here, in John chapter 11, you know the story. Lazarus has died. Martha and Mary, his sisters, they're very upset about that, understandably so. And so they're very distraught in the fact that their brother is no longer living. And for four days, he has been dead. He's been buried. And Jesus shows up, and he tells them, listen, don't worry. You know the famous passage, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus, in, in his comfort, in, in his agony to relate to those that he loved, the Bible says that he wept yet still knowing what was to come. And so as he talked to Martha, and he says, Martha, you will see Lazarus again. And here's what she said, John chapter 11, verse 23. It'll come up on the screen. She said, Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. In other words, Martha said, Jesus, I believe you for when I die. But how does that change right now? You see, like Martha, we believe Jesus for eternity. But what Paul is communicating here is that the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus, the reality of believers' eternity has implications for today for right now, for the present. That's why he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, uh, 16, that though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So what does it mean then to live for tomorrow today? What does it look like to respond to the inner longings of the Spirit of God? Well, he tells us in verses 6 through 9. Paul says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. And so how do we do this? Well, it simply starts by walking by faith. You see, faith, the Bible says, is, is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. The way that we live the resurrection of Jesus in our life is that we live a life of faith, that we would live a life that reflects our trust in our Heavenly Father, that we would not try to micromanage our lives but trust our lives to the one, according to Paul, that has swallowed up the mortal. So number one, we would walk by faith. How did Jonah end up on the shore out of the fish's mouth? Did he enter the GPS into the belly of the well? Or was it God who, according to Jonah 2.10, says, The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. You see, as Jonah did, if you go back and read Jonah chapter 1, what happened with Jonah is Jonah realized, you know what, I'm not in control here. I'm looking around, and I'm seeing a lot of well belly, and I don't feel like I have any hope. And what did God do? God orchestrated the circumstances because uh, Jonah got to a point to where he said, God, whatever you want to do, I'm good with that. Jonah talks about being uh, the weeds wrapping around him at the bottom of the sea, and yet God saved him. That's what a life of faith means, that you would say, God, whatever it is that you're going to do, I trust you. 
He says to walk by faith. And the second thing he says is to be of good courage. It means to be confident. That we would be confident in the certainty of what God has in store for us. That we would walk in faith and say, God, whatever it is that you have in store for me, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be confident in the reality of what your word says. There's 66 books that have been written over thousands of years, and yet none of those have any discrepancies whatsoever. Everything that God has said that he would do, he has done. We've been studying Ezra on Wednesday nights, and we we see where hundreds of years prior to the Israelites being in captivity, it was prophesied that they would be in captivity. And 100 years, 150 years prior to them being released from captivity, God, through the prophets, had promised that they would be released from captivity on a certain date, and yet they were. Because why? Because God is faithful that he keeps his promises, and what he says he will do, he will do, and we can be confident in that reality. You see, what the reason that you're not confident in your faith is your faith is not in Jesus. The reason that you're not confident in your faith is because your confidence is in you and your abilities and what you think you can accomplish. And as long as you live with faith in self, you will be vulnerable. You will be unstable. Be confident. Be of good courage. And lastly, he says, aim to please him. You see, God has placed us in this moment in time, and his desire for us, despite our circumstances, is that we would live for him. And the only way that that's possible is that you would live for something that extends beyond yourself. So how do we do that? Well, he told us already in verse 5. He says, he who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. It is only through allowing the Spirit of God to live in you and through you will you ever actually live. He uses the word guarantee here. It it means, it, it was a Greek word that was used for engagement ring, which pledges and guarantees the day of marriage. The realization is that in the life of each Christian, God has begun the transformation process that will one day, praise the Lord, one day culminate in possessing a heavenly body and will be perfect just like Jesus. See, Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 says that for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. God is not calling you to be like your neighbor God is not calling you to be like your pastor. God is calling you to be like Jesus. God is calling you to a deeper walk with him, to be captivated, to be swallowed up by the things of Jesus. And the best part about it is you don't have to be good enough to do that. You don't have to work harder. Listen, I don't want you to walk away from today and say, man, i gotta, I got to be more consumed with Jesus Here's what I want you to walk away with. I want you to walk away with reality that God's already done everything. That He's already secured the ability for you to hear from Him. He's already secured the ability to communicate to you. He's already laid out the plans that He has in store for you. Just like He told the Israelites when they were in the middle of captivity, He says, I know the plans that I have for you a plan for a future and to have hope. And so for you and for me, according to what Paul is writing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we have been guaranteed to succeed. 
And so what we need to do is to rest in that reality that we would say, Jesus, would you help you and my life to increase? And God, would you help less of me? Would you help me to decrease in my life? God, would you help to put to death those things that I'm incapable of doing? That you would put away the things that are dragging you down and that you would look with confidence, according to Paul, to the certainty of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for you. That he plans on, because you're still alive, continually working in and through you right now, today. So this morning, how will you respond to that? What are the things in your life that maybe you would say, you know, I do need to put those to death. I need to surrender those things to the lordship of Jesus. Maybe you would say, God, I want to have more faith in you. God, would you help my unbelief? This morning, whatever God is calling you to, I can assure you of this, that he's calling you to go deeper. Would you respond to the Spirit this morning? Let's pray. As you stand with me this morning, God, we bow before you today. And God, we don't understand the ins and outs of everything that takes place. We don't understand.